Oh, God. Are you not recording? Uh, there we go. Oh, God. Hi. Hi. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Hello, Crystal and everybody out there. Yes, welcome back. Hello, hello. Oh, I have an update about the Crystal Rogers case. Lay it on me. Um, so they have taken... Uh, remember I said that they had kind of dug up just his uh, driveway and there was kind of that pit missing? Yeah. They have expanded it to like his whole yard. Oh my and goodness. And they've, they've sent multiple like soil samples and ground samples and um, evidence to Quantico to be tested. Oh, wow. Quantico. So that like, is where I want to go. real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Nice. All right. I can't wait till we can do an episode. Yeah. Or five. Or five. Yeah. Because that, that is a big case. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's a podcast called Bardstown. I don't know how many episodes it is. Let me look. There are 28 episodes oh. of Bardstown. Crap. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. It looks like season one is just about Bardstown. Season two might be about something else. Oh, but still, yeah, that's it's like one 14, of 14 episodes on this. It's crazy. Hmm. That is crazy. Anywho. Oh, jeez. <laughs> So, um, I'm bringing you a case today. Actually, it's four different cases, but don't worry. This isn't going to be very long. But uh, <laughs> this was came to my mind when we were talking about Brian Schaefer. And when I was coming up with kind of thinking about the case, uh, listening to Edo's stuff, listening to your episode um, on all of that, I was trying to come up with theories of my own of what could have possibly happened to Brian Schaefer. Um, and I know that Edo also kind of has this theory in the back of his mind, but like uh, considering the evidence that shows that Brian probably did not leave that building at any point, um, in the evening when he disappeared, that he could be stuck somewhere. Like, that was my initial thought when I thought of the building, when I thought of the construction. Yes. It's not that he didn't leave the building. It's that he did not leave the bar. He did not leave the bar. Yes. That's, the, uh, that's okay. what everybody says is that the police are 100% certain he did not leave the bar. Okay. I call bullshit. Okay, well, that's why I think he could be somewhere else in the building. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Somewhere else in the building, especially with the construction going on. So yes. then what I started to do is because I had heard of this first case I'm going to tell you about. And I was like, hmm, maybe something like that happened with Brian. And then I was curious about how many times has this happened? And so... I'm going to tell you four stories of missing persons that ended up being somewhere. Like they mysterious deaths. Mis yeah, mysterious deaths, exactly. So okay. here we go. So our first case is Larry Eli. I'm going to sound like one of those uh, newscasters that their names are like, you know, 
uh, my name is Jessica Fernandez. And they have like, you know, the, the they do the accent. Oh, in last yeah. Day. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. I like with this that, name. though. I know. So this, Bring is, it out. this is the story of Larry Eli Murillo Moncada. Ooh. Did you like that? That Look was good. I know. It's, it's my little spicy. You're a native speaker, out. though. Yeah, so I, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say a native speaker. My mom did speak to me in Spanish growing up. Although, right, if she was listening, I bet you she is listening to this right now, and she's saying to herself in Spanish, "Yeah, but you don't even speak to your kids in Spanish." So, anyways, I wish you had said on. that in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's probably thinking right now, she probably doesn't even know how to say that in Spanish, but okay, mommy, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so this case happened in 2009 um, on Thanksgiving Day, actually, in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Oh, Larry, no. yes, Larry, who is 25 years old, suddenly goes missing. So at 25, he still lived with his parents and he worked at the No Frills supermarket in town. Now, Council Bluffs is a super small town and the No Frills supermarket was equally as small. But every well, that it's was no frills. It's they, no frills it has to be small. You just get in there, you get your stuff, don't expect any frills, and you get out. And you so, get in, you grab your food, you get the fuck out. Exactly. So um, the night that he disappeared, he actually had an argument with his parents. Now, this is November in Iowa. So as you can imagine, it's getting or has been pretty cold. And actually, the night he left the house... Uh, there was a blizzard going on outside. And when Larry left, he left with no shoes. He left behind his keys and his car. And he was wearing the blue shirt and blue pants that his parents saw him in when he left the house. So again, he had an argument with his parents. What kind of argument? We really don't know because mom and dad never really specified. But prior to the argument... I mean, he was a 25-year-old living at home, and it was a close, tight-knit family. So by all accounts, like, nothing, there was no blood, bad blood, like, consistently between the parents and Larry. It was just, like, an argument they had. And I'm pretty probably sure... Probably some dumb, like... Like, still trying to probably parent him when he's 25 years old. But, yeah. I mean, he's still living at home. Anyway... He left that night and he was never heard from again. Now, parents were really worried that he didn't come home that, that night, but they chalked it up to, okay, well, maybe he's out of friends. But then after 24 hours of him being gone, they got really, 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 really worried. And so that is when they called to report him missing to the police. Now, when the police started investigating... His mother reported that Larry had confided in her that he was hearing voices in his oh. head. And these voices really weren't saying anything bad, but she said that they were telling him to eat sugar, uh, which, is, which is a little odd, but uh, I mean, all, of right. all the things that a voice can tell me. Yeah. Um, I won't be too concerned about yeah. that one. Like, <laughs> exactly. Maybe but we can make some better choices, but <laughs> if it's telling you to eat, okay, 
go yeah. have some sugar. I mean, I have voices uh, that tell me to eat the crap out of some cereal all the time, but that's about it. They don't. God, I thought I was the only one. I uh, I can I fucking love kill some cereal. I if I could just live off of cereal for the rest of my life, I think I could. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just different yeah. cereals. My my three rotations, I think, would be uh, some good old raisin bran in the morning just to get the fiber going. Right. Okay. Uh, afternoon for lunch, I'd probably pick. I don't know some. Some frosted flakes just to like kind of pet me up, but with banana. And then uh, for dinner, I think I would round it off with some good old uh, Fruity Pebbles because who doesn't enjoy Fruity Pebbles? Okay. Yeah. So that's if, if I was a, a three a day cereal, cereal eater, cereal, cereal eater, <gasps> cereal, cereal eater. Get Are it? you Okay. You sound like you're having a stroke. <laughs> I sound like I'm hearing voices. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of voices. You to eat cereal. <laughs> Speaking of voices, let's get back to Larry. So yeah, Larry told his mom, I am hearing these voices. They're telling me to um to eat sugar. Uh, and this he reported to mom a couple of months before his disappearance. But then just days before uh he left the house. On Thanksgiving, he told his mom that his heart would beat very, very, very fast and that he would eat sugar to make it stop. That's so, odd. yeah, so that was kind of odd behavior. That was always in the back of Larry's mom's mind. Um, and it just kind of it made her think about it more once they he went missing. So. 10 years later, so he's been missing for 10 years. Yeah. In those 10 years, there were no leads. It was just as if he disappeared off the face of the earth. So in January of 2019, at the same supermarket where he worked before his disappearance, the No Frills, which, by the way, closed shortly after his disappearance in 2016. So he went missing in 2009, and then the No Frills supermarket closed down in 2016. Okay. So now it's 2019, and there's workers there um, kind of dismantling the store, removing old shelving, and they find when they're like kind of taking things out of there, taking things down, a badly decomposed male body that appeared to have been there for years. And this body was found in the 18 inch gap between the coolers and the wall of the store. The coolers stood about 12 feet high. And I mean, you can picture these. It's those coolers that you see at any store, right? Where all the frozen food is or the ice cream is. It's just Oh, the... so this was like out on the sales floor. Yeah, this was out on the sales floor. Oh, wow. And it was it was a row of coolers that sat up against the wall in the supermarket and there's a 12 there's an 18 inch gap in between the coolers and the wall. Right. So they For found flow to make sure that exactly. they work properly. And that is where they found this badly decomposed male body. Now, former employees of the supermarket said it was common for employees to rest on top of the coolers on their breaks. I don't know why they would do that, especially when you're in Iowa. Um, I could see something like that happening in Florida or Texas where it gets super hot. 
I don't know. It wouldn't be cool on top, though. I, I don't know, but they... Also, wouldn't you th- just picture your... <sighs> You're shopping and you look up and someone's <laughs> just like, so <laughs> you're like, uh, can you can you hand me that yeah. ice cream by your foot? <laughs> exactly. I'm on a break. Exactly. But That's then just... I figure this is a small town. I don't know. I could kind of see that, I guess. Um, and also, apparently, when the store was still open prior to its closure in 2016, customers often complained of an awful smell when they were inside the store. Okay. So uh, they know what that smell was. It was this body behind the freezers. Now, this body was so badly decomposed that it was not until July of the same year, so six months later, that they got a positive ID on the body, and it was, in fact, Larry, wearing the same blue clothes that he had been seen in the day he disappeared. Wow. So autopsy revealed no signs of trauma and the police could not find any evidence of foul play. But Larry's mother had long suspected that he may have been in the store when he went missing. Her kind of theory is he was mad at his parents. He apparently the store was close to his home. So he just like went to his store, which I can see because uh, when I was younger and like I used to work at a video store, uh, a lot of my close friends worked there, too. So I would go there, pop in on your days off. Yeah, on my days off. And so I could see, you know, someone being upset and wanting to go talk to their friend there or one of their coworkers. Um, Yeah, and that in there has to be some level of privacy on those coolers. Maybe there's a way to get up there where it's tall enough that if you sit far back, the customers can't see you. So it's a quiet place where you won't be bothered on your break. And he just had an argument, so he just wanted a quiet place where he could get exactly. away. So he climbed the coolers <sighs> to cool off, no pun intended. And um, and that's what investigators, that's exactly what investigators believe happened. Uh, he climbed on top of the coolers in uh, on that day. Um, now, remember, it was Thanksgiving. I cannot f- figure out for sure if... The supermarket was open that Thanksgiving or not because it was also like later in the night. But I don't know. Maybe he had a key to the store and was able to get in and just got on top of there anyways to like have a quiet spot. But uh, however it happened, he fell into the 18 inch gap between the cooler and the wall. Um, And that's where investigators believe that he was trapped and died there. And he most likely died of dehydration, which actually would have taken um, a long time. Oh, that is sad. Yeah. And so um, a lot of people were saying that the freezers also, there was, you know, were loud in a sense. So even if he was screaming like that night and no one was in the store. I remember this. Because yeah. I worked in a grocery store and yeah. there were so many people who were yeah. like, how did no one notice? Yeah, I, I always thought, and I don't know why I remember this. I thought I read this somewhere that it was not on the sales floor. They were the cooler, the big industrial ones in the back room. No, they were the ones out on the floor. That is so weird because yeah. I swear... I remember, and maybe this hap- has happened more than once. Yeah. With the same scenario. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I know that it happened out on the floor because even after his body was found and the story came out, shoppers that used to shop at the No Frills supermarket were saying, I can't believe we were just walking by and getting items from the cooler for seven years and he was behind one of those coolers. So um, his missing missing person's case was closed after the idea of his body and his death was concluded to be accidental. And, um, and, you know, after 10 years, despite the circumstances, I think his parents um, had a little bit of relief um, and closure there, you know, as to what, what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's it's a tragedy either way, exactly. but at least now they know. There's not that... What if? Yes. I think we've talked about this before. When someone goes missing, that it's is, like you don't have a body, so there's still a corner of your hope. brain that's like, they yep, could correct. be alive. So that was so. Larry. And believe it or not, this has happened many, many times. Uh, so uh, next is Joshua Vernon Maddox. Um, and this happened in on May 8th, 2008. This was in Woodland Park, which is a small city in Colorado. And it's basically like tucked into Pike National Forest in Teller County. And Joshua was an 18-year-old kid, 6 feet, 150 pounds. Um, oh, he, skinny. Yeah. Uh, sweet, sweet kid. He lived with his um, sister's. Uh, and his dad, um, his parents were divorced. So uh, on this particular day, he was at his dad's house and his sisters were there too. And on May 8th, he said goodbye to his older sister and he told her that he was going to go for a walk. And um, that's what he did. This wasn't really odd for Joshua to just like get up and go for a walk because he was a nature lover and a free spirit. He did love writing music and um, playing his guitar. He was a very bright student and he was well liked by his classmates and his teachers. And he did often go for hikes or walks by himself. Now, like I said, they live in Colorado um, near Pike National Forest, and this is a very wooded area. So I'm sure, as someone who loves nature, I'm sure being outside was just, you know, natural and fun for him. Mm-hmm. So he went on a walk. She thought nothing of it. Um, it was very concerning when he didn't come home that night. And they started, as more time went on, they started to get a little bit more concerned and worry started to set in some more. And again, I want to remind you, he is 18. He does go off by himself a lot. Because for me, I was like, geez, well, him not coming home that night, that would worry me then, right? But I think he had a habit of just leaving and going off to a friend's house and then coming back. I have a feeling that this was like a family that was like, okay, see ya. And then trusted that they would hear from their kids again at some point. Right. Okay. So his father called, started calling his friends and no one had seen him. 
So by May 13th, so this is five days later, his father calls the police to report Josh missing because now they're really worried. Friends haven't heard or seen him. Um, they just want to figure out where he is. So a search was immediately started and they looked throughout the neighborhood. Um, they looked throughout the park area, um, in the woods, all over. And after months had passed, there was still no sign of Josh, like zero sign. So hope began to fade. His father kind of theorized that maybe, you know, he's 18. Maybe he just went off at, to start a new life. His sister secretly held hope that maybe he like skipped town on an opportunity to play music somewhere and that he would come back. But I think they all sort of knew I, I, he might not come back, right? And in a right, it's like what we literally just said. Like mm -hmm. they're hoping he's off somewhere living his best life, but then there's also part of them that knows that you know that's probably not it. Correct, and I think you need that to hold on to something, right? To not totally mm -hmm. just fall. You need to allow yourself to be delusional oh, a totally. little bit. Yeah, totally. And in a post she made about her brother's disappearance on Facebook, she wrote, um, and I quote, since Josh was 18, it has been reasonable to assume he may have decided to leave town to start a new life. As one of his two older sisters, I have always chosen to believe that this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home to my father's house at any time with a wife and, a, and small children so that they can meet their grandparents and two aunts. Josh has always been known for his musical and literary talent. So maybe we would find him playing music with a band on tour or catch him writing successful novels under a pen name so that he could keep his preferred lifestyle of solitude in the woods. So that that's kind of, I think she like built that. That was her hope, right? He's There's gonna, this nice vision in her head that he's somewhere. Yes, of the life he is living. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So no one had reason to suspect foul play or enemies or even mental health issues. Although it was noted that his older brother, Zach, had completed suicide in 2006, a week before his high school graduation. So there was some trauma in the family when older brother past. Um, his father said that it did affect the whole family deeply and it was very difficult for Josh, but his sisters and his father all say that, you know, things got better and Josh seemed to be doing happy and doing well before his disappearance. Um, the case remained open, but there was still no sign of Josh. Um, his father even moved from the family home where Josh left for his walk, but he still retained ownership in case Josh were to return. So I think it was a case of he started renting out the house, but he okay. moved. Um, so in 2015, seven years after Josh um, originally disappeared, Chuck Murphy, who was a local builder in town, was demolishing his old wood cabin. It sat on a patch of land that was surrounded by tall pine trees there in town. Now, he purchased this cabin in 1950, and it was formerly known as the Homestead of Thunder Ranch, which was basically a famous local drinking and gambling establishment like in the 1900s. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so his, so, you know, um, Chuck and his brother purchase 
this, but then they moved out in 2005 and they didn't really use the property at all, It, but it was kind of being used um, by the family, by Chuck Murphy's family as kind of like storage. So when any, whenever anyone in the family had like big stuff that they wanted to store, they just took it to the family cabin. Okay. So no one, so no one was really living there, um, but it was still being used. So like people were still coming to the cabin off and on throughout the year to store stuff. Mm-hmm. So Chuck in 2015 decided, you know, they were just going to tear down the old cabin and uh, and sell the property. So when Chuck was dismantling the chimney and he reached the interior, he found the body of a young man. In the now, chimney? In the chimney. Now, it is very important to note the position that he found the this man in. Was he upside down? The man was in the fetal position with oh. his legs above his head and his hips were kind of like disjointed from his torso. So he was kind of curled up, but his his legs were instead of like curled up to his chest. It's they were like kind was, of twisted sideways. Yeah, folded in half. Yeah, basically. Um, so he immediately called the police. Um, a forensic um, odontologist was sent out and used dental records to positively ID the body as Josh. Wow. So this was him in the chimney. What now, happened? This cabin was less than a mile from the family oh, home. No. So that whole time he had only been basically less than a mile away. So everyone is in shock, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the first thought was, well, he was just, you know, an 18-year-old kid taking a walk, probably saw the abandoned cabin and was curious and wanted to just, like, check it out, right? And that's how he got stuck in the chimney. Now, the autopsy found no drugs or alcohol in his system, and there was no trauma to his body. There was no marks, no broken bones, etc., and investigators believe, okay, so he wanted to check out the, the house. So he tried to get in through the chimney, um, and it was just secluded enough and surrounded by pines that um, when he got stuck and screamed for help, no one would have heard him, right? So his death was ruled an, ac- was ruled an accident. Again, just went for a walk, wanted to look around the cabin, climbed in the chimney to gain access inside and got stuck. And his cause of death on his death certificate was noted as likely hyperthermia because the lower temp, the days he went missing, those first initial days that he was missing, was around um, 21 to 24 degrees. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, the fact that they just said, yeah, he walked around, got stuck in the chimney, um, and that's how he died. That seems weird to me. Yeah, and it wasn't clear-cut as that. Because there were still many questions that remained and many things that were noted in his file that kind of make you go, uh, that doesn't seem right. Right. So, on the top, at the top of the chimney was steel meshing at the very top of the chimney that Chuck had put at the top of the chimney. Probably to keep birds out. To keep birds out, yeah. right? And it wasn't like this was a steel meshing or steel mesh that was just like on the very tip top of the chimney that could be taken off. This was like, it was a row of brick 
the mesh and then the other bricks. Okay. Right? So it was permanently there. Okay? That was not disturbed at all at the top of the chimney. Okay. Okay? Also, the position in which he was found. If anyone is going to go into a chimney um, and end up in that position... They would have had to head dive from the top. Exactly. They would have had to have enter head first. But the mesh was undisturbed at the top. Yeah. Now, inside the cabin, there was a heavy bar top that was used kind of as the countertop at the breakfast nook in the kitchen. Okay. That had been ripped off the wall. And when they got into the house, that bar was now leaning up against the opening of the fireplace on the inside of the house. And Chuck never did it. Nobody else did it. That was just leaning there. Also, and this also makes you think, he only had a thin kind of thermal shirt on when his body was found. That is it. No pants or? No pants, no socks, no underwear, no shoes, just a thin thermal shirt. Weird. And the clothes that he was missing, they were found on the inside of the house, folded neatly next to the fireplace. What the fuck? Exactly. Now, (laughs) when Josh first went missing, a lot, and I'm telling you, a lot of his friends called the police to report that he had been seen with a kid named Andy. Andy was this really weird kid that they all went to high school with that had ended up years later after Andy or after uh, after Josh went missing. Um, he went on a stabbing spree in New Mexico. Okay. And, and on the stabbing spree, after all of this happened, they ended up finding a dead woman stuffed in a barrel and a handicapped man who he actually was hired to help out as an assistant oh. also stabbed to death. Yeah. And he was involved in all of this, but charges were eventually dropped against Andy And then as I was looking into this and reading all into this, this is going to have to be another separate case. Uh, So keep keep a mental note about Andrew Richard Newman. Because because Josh was seen with him when he disappeared. But Josh wasn't found stabbed, right? No, he was just found stuffed in a chimney. But Andy was also found with a barrel with a stuffed woman into it, too. So... There could be a connection. We, n- we won't know because the police never followed up on that tip. Ever. Well, multiple. They never, it wasn't just one. It yeah. was several people. Yeah. They, never, oh they never called Andy. They never talked to him. So, yeah. So, that case was closed. Accident, accidental death. Likely hypothermia. He got stuck in the chimney. But then there's all of those questions that remained right there. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm going to say this doesn't sound like an accident to me. Uh, I don't know. I know. That's one that I, I could have looked deeper on, but I kind of want to look deeper into, uh, once I got to Andy, I was like, ah, maybe we'll save that for, uh, another day, that case. So that was 
Josh. So that was the story of Josh Maddox. Okay. Our next story is um, this one's actually kind of sad. So this is a a 14-year-old in Port Clinton, Ohio, named Harley Dill. Um, He was last seen at 6 a.m. on December 20th, 2019. He was leaving for school, just as he always did. There is even surveillance footage of him crossing the street in front of his home because that's where he would have to go for the bus stop. Um, When he never showed up to school... Uh, The search immediately started for him. He was missing for about three weeks, and there was about 120 volunteers um, and police that searched the town and the neighborhood, like, for days. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, there was even an almost $20,000 reward offered for any information um, for, like, where Harley was. Um, So, sorry. um, Mm Mm-hmm. The surveillance footage shows him crossing the street. Yeah. Uh, was he just not... Is it a very narrow frame where that's all you can see? Or Yeah, that's all you can see. And I, I believe it was kind of like somebody's ring doorbell. Okay. You know, okay. that just shows him crossing... Just what's right there. Just what's right there. Okay. And he's just crossing the street and that's it. Um, and then there's nothing else. You know, of him. And, like, seeing him crossing the street, they're like, well, he's going straight to his bus stop, right? Yeah. Or towards his school, wherever it, wherever it is he needs to go. So, anywho, it turns out Harley was found just across the street from his home. So, basically, on the other side of the road where on he the, was caught on camera? Yes, yes. Oh, my God. And where he was found was in the chimney of the vacation home. Now, it was vacant, but it was in the process of being remodeled. So this house that's across the street from his house was a vacation home. And it was owned by people, but it was in the process of being remodeled. Now, the home had been checked on multiple times during the initial search for Harley, but police, when they were looking around the house and found no forced entry or signs of trespassing, they kind of, like, didn't really give it a second thought because all the windows and doors were locked. There was also a lockbox on the door. So they didn't really even think to like go inside and take a look. Oh um, man, I'm hindsight's 2020, but when yeah. you're searching for a kid for weeks and there is a literal house right there. Yeah. What does it that's vacant. Just look inside. True. Um, so he was found in the chimney of that house. Now, investigators believe that what happened was is Harley was walking by, got curious, and he climbed the TV antenna tower on the side of the house to the roof um, and then climbed into the chimney. Now, the chimney is 9 by 13 inches wide. Why would he climb the chimney to go inside? I have no idea. Um, I'm trying to picture that, and that's like uh-huh. the size of my MacBook. Yeah, he was a very small kid. So he's he's like a tiny 14-year-old. I don't know if my 2-year-old niece would fit in this. Well, I don't I don't see a 14-year-old like I mean, I know 14-year-olds are pretty like they don't make the best decisions, but that seems like a very questionable decision Particularly for Particularly strange. For 6 a.m. in the morning, too. When you're on your way to school. Like, maybe... Yeah. Okay, maybe in the afternoon when he comes home from school because he's bored yeah. and he's just hanging out. But in the morning seems weird. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, take from that what you will. But his jacket and glasses were found um, pushed through the flue into the second floor of the house. So that means that he was, like, trying to take off as much as he could to kind of, like, shimmy. Mm -hmm. And then they think he, like, tried to, like, get through another little passage in the chimney. And that's how his glasses and jacket were pushed through that part. That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, but death was ruled an accident. Police uh, do not sp suspect foul play. And his cause of death was actually determined to be to. Uh, I can't talk. His cause of death was determined to be compression asphyxia. So just being in that really oh. tight. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I can't imagine this 14 year old just like panicking. Right. Yeah. And like not being able to you know, breathe and then basically just like dying. Could you imagine the panic? At first, and then just, just a little baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. So, I mean, if this has taught you anything, these last two cases, don't, don't buy a home with a chimney. Don't, don't fucking climb into one. How about that? It works for one person. That's Santa. That's it. Jeez. Anyways, Jose Malena is our next and final case okay. of these weird disappearances that turn into weird deaths. So, Jose Molina, on October 11th, 2012, um, he was working his shift at the Bumblebee Tuna Plant in Santa Fe. Um, this was a very early, early morning shift. And as he always had done, Jose was performing maintenance inside a 35 foot long cylinder shape oven slash pressure cooker that they had. Now they would use these like big cylinder shaped ovens to load all the canned tuna in and kind of then you know, heat it up to kind of sterilize the outside. It sounds it, like a giant instant pot. Yeah, basically, right? And that's what they would use to sterilize thousands of cans of tuna. Uh, now, okay. Yeah. Now, on this particular, I don't know, this is how they make tuna. Now, he was in there performing some maintenance, um, and his coworker thought that Jose was on a bathroom break. Because before Jose had gone into the oven, he had mentioned that he was going to go on a break soon. Mm -hmm. So Did they cook Jose? So Jose's co-worker oh closed God. the steel door. Oh, no. Filled the 35-foot Ocean oven. violations left and right. Oh, my God. <laughs> With 12,000 pounds of canned tuna, turned it on, and the inside of that oven reaches a temperature of 270 oh degrees. God. So wait, 
when they fill this thing with tuna, is it just like a release the kraken situation where they like push I, it out I and guess. It jumps in? I guess. I don't know. But if you can imagine, so he steal he closes the steel door yeah. and you know, Jose is probably gonna yell as soon as that door closes, but you're not gonna hear it because now it's here airtight. comes and then here, here comes, comes all the these fucking tuna. Tuna. Okay. So and when it's gotta the be soup- dark in there. Exactly. So, so when it's a, not here comes the tuna, he just gets bombarded yeah. with a mountain of tuna. So a supervisor noticed that Melina was missing. And so employees, and by the way, when they realized he was missing, the oven is on. Okay. So they're out searching the factory for him. They see his car in the parking lot. Everyone's, everyone's panicking. His body was found two hours later after After it was finished. After the cycle was done. Oh my God. And turned off and opened. Now, this resulted in the largest payout of safety violations by a single company. Uh-huh. Bumblebee Tuna ended up paying out $6 million for this accidental oh death. God. They gave $1.5 million to Jose's family. They gave $3 million, or they had to pay $3 million to replace all of its outdated machines. And the new ovens that they got don't require people to step inside for maintenance, which is good. And then there was another 1.5 million that they paid out. And that was just a combination of fees, penalties, and court costs. Um, And as a result of this horrific death, uh, Bumblebee changed, obviously changed a lot of the ways they ran things in the plant, right? Uh-huh. Uh, they had to implement enhanced safety measures, measures such as installing video cameras um, at their ovens, providing training to managers and workers about safety rules, you think, and conducting safety audits of equipment like almost every hour on the hour. Um, so this won't happen again, but poor Jose, what an awful way to die. Yeah. And all I can think of in my head is why would you not look inside before shutting the door? Yeah. So if these stories teach you anything, look in an oven before you close the door. Don't fucking get curious and then decide a chimney is the only way inside a house, like break a window if you must. And also like, don't take your break on the top of a cooler at work. Yeah. Um, Jesus, I just don't even know. Yeah. But doesn't this make you think though, like, like, Something like this could have happened to Brian Schaefer. He could be stuck like in like a gap where they were doing construction. Mm -hmm. But then the next day the workers came and filled it with cement. Yeah. And didn't see it. You know, I'm I'm saying you never know. Yeah, I am. I'm going to see if I can find the Gantt chart for that job. It might be difficult, but I want to see if I can find it. Yeah. Anyways, there you go. Some horrible horrible deaths i think arguably that last one i think for me is the worst is the worst the tuna yeah i mean it's not going to stop me from eating bumblebee tuna but still i will think of jose every time oh my god i'm just thinking of how terrified because you know that he knew the second that door shut like 
he knew. He knew it was done. Yeah. And in some ways, I think aside from Josh's case, I think as soon as like, you know, Larry got stuck in between the freezers at some point, he knew it was done. And I'm sure, Probably not right away. I think it probably took longer. Yeah, maybe. It probably took, so say they were closed on Thanksgiving. He's back there, you know, in his head, he's like, you know, I'm going to be miserable for a couple hours, but tomorrow they'll come in. I'll be able to shout for someone. And people just didn't hear him. Yeah. Yeah. All of these are awful. Yep. But geez. um, There you go. Thank you for this. Uh, Live the rest of my life in fear and I'll just stay home more than I already do. Just stay out of the oven and the chimney and you'll be fine. All right. Well, there you go. That's my contribution to everybody's dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Or nightmares. (laughs) Yeah. I really hope no one's agoraphobic because you probably just set them back a few (laughs) few years. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. I'll see you next time, huh? Yeah. We'll see you next time. Top that. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a contest. (laughs) It is now. (laughs) Battle of the compilation. I did did my two cannibals. Exactly. Um, You know what I've been wanting to do? I just haven't taken the time to do it as I've wanted to do like COVID-19 related murders. Oh, that's a good one. Because there was one at the very beginning I won't one up you next week, but uh, oh, maybe that's... maybe we'll see one of these days. <laughs> one of these days, yeah. Maybe with a cryptid. Ugh. It don't tempt me. We still have twenty five <laughs> no. more letters to get stop, through. Stop! Stop! Stop it! Uh, I think I hear Jane calling you about that. <laughs> what's that jane you want to do those go for it (laughs) we will see everybody next week goodbye goodbye By the way, can I just say, I love tuna. I think I am eating way too much of it, though. Because I I buy those tuna creation packets. Yes, they're so good. And they have so much protein. Yes. Oh, my buffalo. And they're Hot so buffalo easy is my just favorite. Like eat oh, with a fork. you don't yes. even need anything. You know what I do? Here's my secret recipe, and I'm going to give it to you because you're my friend. <laughs> I do one of their flavors, hot buffalo, or like their sesame ginger, or whatever. And then I also buy a regular packet of just regular tuna oh, okay. so I can mix them together. Mm-hmm. And you're basically getting like 30 grams of protein and 
under for under 200 calories basically that actually makes sense so one of the reasons i don't like the hot buffalo one is because it's too it's much it's too flavor. saucy yes i add I another regular that. yes and then i add everything but the bagel on top and with some diced up cucumbers and you've got yourself a scrumptious meal man this sounds good doesn't it sound Honestly, good there's some days where like i'm i meal prep because if i don't i'll either eat all the junk food um, or I won't eat. Like there are some yeah. days where even when I plan out my food, I still don't eat because I get busy yeah. and I forget. Um, so I have in my in the bottom drawer. I'm such a, an office worker. The bottom drawer of my file cabinet is my snack drawer, and I have <laughs> a whole bunch of those tuna packets in tuna there. Tuna packets. Now you'll think of me every time I you eat a tuna. I love the bacon ranch one. <laughs> The bacon so ranch, good. you know which one has the highest protein content in it huh. is the hickory, the smoked hickory one. I tried that one and I'm not It's sure. a little dry. It is really It's a dry. little dry. Yeah. So sometimes I have to mix that one with some like lemon juice and another packet of regular tuna and it actually tapes pretty good with the, or tapatio. You sprinkle some tapatio on that. Okay. Mm. And it's really good. Uh, if you're if you can't eat and you're not going to eat, protein is always the way to go. Like uh, some hard boiled eggs, the tuna packets, yep. some chicken. If you can eat cheese, some cheese. Yeah, right? that's what keeps your body from eating itself. Yep. Exactly, exactly. So I love me some tuna. All right, back to Jose. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.